Hello, and welcome to the Hadoop Podcast, Episode 1. I'm your host, Joe Stein, Head of Server Platforms for MediaLets, the rich media advertising and analytics platform for mobile devices. Learn more about MediaLets online at www.medialets.com. The topic of today's episode is tips and tricks to your first Hadoop cluster. Each and every show, I really want to share your Hadoop thoughts, your tips, your tricks, any cool Hadoop-related software projects you might know about, please send me an email, charlmalik at allthingshadoop.com, or on Twitter at allthingshadoop. We also set up a voicemail, so feel free to leave us a message, 973-944-0432. I want to make this podcast a platform for what the Hadoop community wants to share with each other, as well as others who are starting to learn about Hadoop. Now, if you've never used Hadoop before and you're just getting started, Definitely read Tom White's Definitive Guide to Hadoop, as well as check out the Cloudera training videos. It's a great place to get started. Go to the Apache website, go through the Quick Start Guide, download Hadoop, and get it running. A lot of what Hadoop is made of is to allow folks to just jump in and and get started. And kind of what I want to talk about today is the next step after that. Now you have your cluster running, and you have maybe six nodes, and you want to process a terabyte of data. Some of those defaults that helped you get started are actually going to get in your way now. And some of the different setup of your cluster has to be be thought through accordingly. So one of the main items that I'd like to start and talk about is the secondary name node. The point of the secondary name node is, well, if you haven't heard already, it's not the backup for the name node. For a little bit of context, let's talk about the name node. The HDFS namespace where all the blocks and all the files for all the blocks and all the names for all the blocks sit stored and managed by the name node. All the different changes that are occurring go to what's called the edit logs. And those edit logs grow and grow and grow. And if there isn't something there that takes the edit logs and turns it back into the original image, then either when you restart your cluster, the name node has to do that, right? It's going to go through the entire edit logs and spend a lot of time doing that to create the image, or your hard drive will just fill up and your cluster will crash. So voila, that's where the secondary name node comes in. By default, when you first set up Hadoop, not on a distributed system, that secondary name node is running on the same machine as your name node. Now, for performance reasons, right, when you actually run a cluster, you want to set that secondary name node up on another machine. But there's a couple of little tricks to getting that to work. So the first one is in the dfs.http.address configuration parameter on the secondary name node, okay? The way that the secondary name node works is it does an HTTP get to the name node to pull in the edit logs. It does all of its crunching of those edit logs to create a new image and then does a HTTP post back to the name node. By default, that dfs.http.address is set to localhost colon 50,070. So you want to make that change, that configuration change in your hdfs-site.xml so that the secondary name node knows where the name node is specifically for this functionality. The other change is really simple. Open up the master's file on your name node and change localhost to the server where your secondary name node is. So now you have the secondary name node running on another server. You set up six data nodes, you take a terabyte of data, you push it into HDFS, you go ahead and take one of the sample applications, you run it, now you see that you only have one reducer. By default, the mapred.reduce.task is set to 1. The reason for this is because you have to calculate what the right number of reducers for a job is for your cluster. You can do this 
only after understanding each data node and how many reducers and how many mappers can run on it. To do that, you need to understand a few more parameters. The mapreduce.child.javaops allows you to set how much memory each child process has. By default, this is 200, so let's just work with 200. Let's say you have 8 gigs of RAM on a machine. Your task node and your data node each are going to take a gigabyte of memory, so you only have 6 gigabytes left. If you divide that by, let's say, 200, you're basically left with 30 different processes that can run at once. Well, if you only have 8 cores, you need to balance that. So you can now give a little bit more memory to each Java process. And based on how much data processing you're doing, you're, of course, going to be limited to how many cores you have. So you may only be able to set a value of 5 or 6 for the reducers and the mappers. Once that's set, and once you understand how much memory you have on a machine and how much processor you have for each data node, what you want to do is you want to get a calculation of the number of data nodes you have, so let's say 6, and the number of maximum amount of tasks on each node. Let's say that's also 6. Gives you 36. To get mapred.reduce.task, you want to take that value, in this case 36, and multiply it somewhere between 0.95 and 1.75 to get the optimum value. With your six nodes and your terabyte of data, you've worked through those issues, you have your reducers running, you go ahead and you write your first MapReduce program. You decide you want to really crunch on this data, you want to go through different keys and values that you're looking at, and you might actually find out that a lot of your uh, tasks are getting killed. One of the main reasons that this happens for uh, newcomers is because you need to communicate just a little bit with the task tracker. The task tracker needs to know that your task is still running. The way to do that is with your reporter object, that, that last parameter inside of your map and reduce tasks. You take that reporter object and either report a status or increment a counter. This allows the task tracker to know that you're still processing data, you're still doing something, you're still alive, you're not dead yet. If you don't do that, then the task tracker will, after the expiry time, which is 10 minutes, and for a terabyte of data, it could take 10 minutes to process some different parts of your data, it won't kill your task. Now that you're outputting this data through the maps, you've got your terabyte of data on all the six different nodes, you're outputting all that data from your map tasks. You should compress it. There's a parameter called mapred.compress.map.output. And by setting this value to true, all of the data that comes out of your mappers will be compressed. The benefit here is because of one of the features of Hadoop that makes it so performant when doing large data processing in a distributed and parallel environment. The data is moved to where the processing happens. So just like inside of the map task, where the data is moved to where the mapper is running. During the sort and shuffle phase, before that happens is the copy. The data from the map output is copied to where the reducer is going to run. If you have large amounts of data, instead of transferring that data from node 6 to, let's say, node 2, 3, and 4, because those are the reducers that are going to run it, you might as well compress it so that the data transfer is as fast as possible. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Again, this is Joe Stein from MediaLets, signing off.